I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Doctor Is In. Look, two episodes within a week is kind of crazy, given that before our lovely episode with John Bishop, the newest companion on Doctor Who... I hadn't done an episode of this show for about a year. Now, you may notice, of course, that there's also been something else going on for the past year or so, and that's freaking COVID. So obviously that got in the way. There wasn't any Doctor Who. There was nothing to talk about. Well, there was one thing to talk about, but I can't actually talk about it yet because it's it's super top secret. But I hope you all enjoyed the episode with John Bishop, and we, I hope you enjoyed Doctor Who, Flux, part one. What did you think? Feel free to hit me up on socials. Uh, we have an Instagram page now, and by we, I mean I. It's across at the Doctor Is In Pod at Instagram, and there's all kinds of stuff there. I'm basically curating a list of episodes of the show over the past few seasons that I think you may enjoy to go back and listen to. Now, this week on the show, as you probably know, because you've already clicked the link and you've already seen the title of the episode, I'm talking to the sixth Doctor. So I'm talking to Colin Baker. Now, if you have watched a bit of Doctor Who, but not a lot, you may not have encountered Colin Baker's Doctor. But if you're a fan of big Finnish audio dramas, you've probably come to know him as, I'd say, one of the most reliably awesome Doctors in the stable of Doctors. He's one of the the best doctors there are. He does incredible work. He's an amazing performer and he brings something new to the table every time. I absolutely adore his work. If you're not a convert yet, I highly recommend diving in from the beginning. But this episode, I'm talking with Colin because he's actually hopped on board with a lost script courtesy of Russell T. Davies. That's right. Russell T. Davies is coming back to run Doctor Who and at about the same time, Big Finish got the rights to kind of refurbish this script that he wrote in the 80s. And I talked to Colin about that, but I also talked to Colin about his time as the Doctor. And it's a really interesting chat. I am so over the moon to have talked to yet another Doctor, but honestly, it was just an unforgettable experience. So without further ado, Colin Baker. Colin, how are you today? Me, I'm pretty good, even though it's grey and drizzly here. November approached, October approaches, and... We're all getting depressed because winter's coming, whereas you're getting elated because summer's coming. Yeah, you think so, but I love the cold weather. I, I mean, the one thing we can't do right now is travel across to England. I bloody miss the place. Do you really? Yeah. Oh, it's not flattery. I genuinely just, I miss, you know what? It's the pub meals. We just don't have them here. <laughs> do you not? No, well, we do. It's just, it's just not quite up to snuff. There's no hot water pastry and there's no, you know, the fish and chips aren't up to snuff and our curries aren't as good, so... You know, I just because uh, those lovely Barbies. <laughs> That's true. That is very true. But uh, again, we're in an apartment, so uh, unless I want to engage in some kind of light arson, that wouldn't really work here. <laughs> thank you, really. Thank you so much for for chatting. I mean, right off the bat, I wanted to ask you something because you know you went to acting school and you've played countless roles on screen and you physically inhabit the doctor, you know, on screen and you run around and you wear the coat. But when you head into the booth, what are the challenges involved in getting back into character when you don't have the trappings of being on set and you're basically trapped in a small box? I mean, as an actor, what does what does that force you to do? 
doesn't change a darn thing, actually. Um, in terms of playing the part, I suppose if I was... No, I'm, I'm just thinking, if I was playing a wrestler, uh, I would approach it differently if I was on screen and not on screen. Um, but right. all you're doing is supplying sound and the sounds of effort instead of actual effort. And um, in the words of Laurence Olivier to Dustin Hoffman in that well-known story, which you've probably heard, have you ever tried acting, my boy? Um, uh, when he was running on the spot in order to get breathless to play a scene as a breathless person. Whereas the rest of us would, we know what it was like to be breathless, but we can do breathless without actually being breathless because you're in control then. And it's the same yeah. with uh, doing Doctor Who on audio. Um, I have the script. I have my own imagination. Um, sometimes with the microphone in front of me, I'm so wildly gesticulating or demonstrating physical effort that I'm not the microphone over. That does happen. Um, right. but you're just supplying a different creative muscle than the one you do, the physical ones you do, when you're performing in front of a camera. Right. And that's artificial as well, because you know, you're, it's not like actually being a 360-degree fully dimensional person. You're acting you know, for a, something that's pointing at you, which is yeah. um, unreal. Is there something freeing about being, you know, away from the quarries and the sets and whatnot and actually just <laughs> existing in a purely imagination-based space? Yes. Well, you don't have to wear whatever uncomfortable clothes the designers created for you. Um, mm. I'm sitting here in my shorts and T-shirt being interviewed by you. Uh, yes. If I was doing it on screen, I'd have to smarten myself up and brush my hair and all those things, which I haven't had to do. You adapt your how you present yourself according to the circumstances. And um, I find it quite easy, to be honest. Well, I mean, one of the great things about audio is that you can imagine anything. If I had described the way you look, right, as being in costume, then people people picture that, right? Whereas exactly. now they're picturing exactly. you in some sort of luau. So, Which is why Big Finish has the advantage over television in mm. that... Uh, I can say, my God, that lizard is 3,000 feet high. Now, do that on television, you get a lot of laughter, you know, yeah. because, well, not so much now, because what they can create now is infinitely superior to what was available back in my day with, mm. you know, CSO and stuff. But on audio, if you're good at your craft and the sound uh, guy who's, who's doing what they call the sound build, is good as his, and they are at Big Finish, then you are in that world. And mm. I have believed more audio productions I've heard. There are other times I've listened to a play in the car being broadcast live and got to my destination and sat in the car because I wanted to hear the end of the play rather than go and see the people I was going to see. Um, <laughs> it's much more than on television, I must say. Yeah, uh, yeah. You're much more complicit you're part of it. You're there. You're with them. I love audio. It's great. Well, when when you listen to audio, you're the director. You're the you know you're the director of photography. And the other one, of course, is when on audio someone says, "That is the most beautiful woman I have ever seen." <laughs> Every single person listening to that will have a different image. Of course, it's, yeah. When it's done for them on television, uh, half the people are going, "Well, she's not all that. My wife's better looking than that." Um, oh, sure. Whereas on audio, they're not. You can cast your own wife. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I... I often, uh, when I get people into Big Finish, and I do evangelize a lot, Colin, I always start with your doctor. Um, oh. So, I mean, why do you think people resonate with Six so much? What is it about him that you think, like, draws people in? Well, I hope it's um, my commitment to the role, partly. Mm. Um, mm. Because uh, a doctor who may have, um, the program, may have messed around with me, but I've never messed around with it, as it were. Yeah. And I have always been committed to my doctor and his journey. You know, I, I felt cheated of the, the end point. Um, or, well, there isn't an end point, of course, because even though I've recorded a regeneration story, there is endless opportunity to fill in between arriving as a sixth doctor and leaving as the sixth doctor. Mm. There could be another thousand stories told. And I've, I've always been committed to that. It was very interesting because I did a, a a story for Big Finish recently where uh, a, the recently regenerated doctor met the evolved, if you like, doctor. And mm. I found that it was quite easy to talk to myself in both those characters. Um, and it did sound, I, I played it back and it sounded like... Um, 1983, Sixth Doctor, uh, was meeting 2020, Sixth Doctor. Um, they, they, they did sound different. And the writers have been very good because they've, um, uh, they know which um, arc of the Sixth Doctor, as it were, they're writing for. Yeah. And also, you know, I am playing it differently. Um, I'm much more, I hope, empathetic than I was when I just regenerated and I attacked my companion. Um, yeah. And I, I've had a lot of different companions on audio who've enabled me to show different facets of the Sixth Doctor. And it does seem that the, the listeners, for such they are, have responded to my Doctor. Perhaps I flatter myself. I, I'm, I'm sure all the other Doctors put a great deal of effort into it, but I flatter myself that um, I perhaps... I, I was going to say more committed. No, I can't be more committed than the others. Well, it, it may just be that the character of the Sixth Doctor resonates more with yeah. us, or as much. Or maybe, maybe the truth is that they didn't like me on television, and because I'm slightly nicer now, they think I'm uh, much better than I was. <laughs> Oh, right. Okay. I mean, it's such a bananas concept. I mean, the idea of, you know, the Sixth Doctor meeting meeting himself from a younger iteration. How do you think you would fare meeting yourself, uh, you know, from decades ago? How do you think, and how do you, what do you think your younger self would, would think if he found out that you were, you know, absolutely steamrolling through incredible Doctor Who content in the year 2021? <laughs> I think I would have been delighted because it would mean that I was still providing an income for my family. <laughs> um, what would Colin Baker now and Colin Baker then? Um, I Like the doctor, I suspect I've mellowed. Uh, yeah. I've become a grumpy old man, um, but, but I'm a kind of gentle grumpy old man rather than the... Um, I, I think I possibly came across when I was younger as more arrogant than I actually was. Uh, I think... Like many people, I covered up my insecurity by seeming hyper-secure. Um, and it's a, an unconscious ploy. Many people uh, 
especially blokes, um, find themselves doing in order not to be vulnerable. And sure. um, I, I've heard stories of people who said, uh, I was really frightened of you when I met you 20 years ago. And I'm amazed that anybody could be frightened of me. Um, and a, a little bit sad, but also a little bit proud <laughs> that I was able to uh, um, have that effect on people. I don't well, think sure. I do now. Yeah, I mean, the difference between confidence and arrogance, I mean, you're talking about the doctor as well. He has to walk into rooms and pretend he knows everything, right? I mean, it sounds yeah. like you two have a lot in common. Pretend? pretend. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't what mean to apply. The doctor does know everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. So, okay, so some people seem to think that the doctor is improvising and just making stuff up and is very lucky. And others seem to think that he's got a kind of drunken master style where he wants you to think that he doesn't know what he's doing, but actually he's way sm- He's the smartest person in the room. Where do you sit on that spectrum? Uh, all of the above. An example would be the second doctor mm. who uh, was brilliantly disarming and gave the impression of being a buffoon some of the time and mm. certainly wasn't. He certainly wasn't. Um, and the doctor will dissemble, but I think probably uh, 60% of the time the doctor mm. was in a situation where at that precise moment, he cannot see how he's going to extricate himself and whoever the victims are at that moment of um, whatever the the monsters or villains are doing to them. And there are many situations where, quite genuinely, he's temporarily up a gum tree, but uh, he knows he can rely on resources he's summoned up in the past to... uh, get him out of that, or his companions, or somebody else, or Mm. chance, or circumstance. He's certainly a lucky person in many cases. Um, You know, fate comes along and provides him with an out of some kind, and that is without the sonic screwdriver, which, of course, I never had, because for that very reason, my uh, the producer, John Nathan Turner, didn't want the doctor always felt to produce this gadget and get out of jail free. Um, He needed to find resources, mental resources, um, uh, imaginative resources uh, in himself to get out of the uh, whatever situation he was in. And of course, you've got some incredible companions to kind of help compensate for the lack of screwdriver. I mean, you know, you've got my favourite companion because Nick Briggs and I are mates and we were talking about um, Evelyn Smythe and how much, I mean, she's maybe the best companion in the series and i have to ask as a as a like an ardent fan what was maggie like because nick made it sound like she was evelyn oh well she was in in fact you know i I think most actors who come into doctor who to play uh non-villains as it were rely Mm. heavily on themselves you know if, if you're a doctor or a companion you have a certain amount of a a blank sheet in terms of you were cast because of what you look like and sound like. Therefore, mm-hmm. that's what you look like and sound like is all right. And you are given a script and you join the two together, as it were. Whereas, you know, a very often a monster or a villain is um, straight jacketed into a, a, a look, a way of behaving that is not them, usually, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Maggie, Maggie had a wonderful Christian. Maggie was very, very intelligent. She'd been a, a teacher, a head teacher, I think. She'd been, uh, uh, she'd worked in for a bank. She'd done all sorts of things and came to acting quite late. 
and with great aplomb. And she was able, like her character was, to take on the doctor at, at pretty much his own level without having two hearts and, and all the other um, Gallifreyan stuff, t- the Time Lord stuff. Mm. She was a human being who had gravitas and status and a brain and took no nonsense from the doctor. And he grew very, very fond of her, as I did of Maggie. Uh, Maggie was um, a special lady. Um, she was kind and generous and talented and just inhabited that part like a glove. And I miss yeah. her. It must be so strange. I mean, I was, these stories are so dense and so kind of labyrinthine. And I was chatting with Terry Malloy a while ago and he was telling me about his initial reaction to the curse of Davros, where Davros and the doctor switch bodies. And he didn't realize that first we was reading what was going on. He was sitting there going, God, the writing's crap. This does not sound like my character. Um, <laughs> until, he, until, until he finally realized what was happening. I mean, what is the story that you've picked up, the script that you've picked up at Big Finish and had the strongest reaction to today? The one that, I, and I can't even quite remember the detail now, there was mm. a script called Arrangements for War, which was with Maggie. And I remember it being um, a time when the doctor was allowed and could show emotion. Mm. And uh, it was a kind of softening of the sixth doctor. Uh, And it was all to do with affection and observing uh, people who were in love and things like that. And it was, for me, it was one of my favourite episodes because I've done so many now, I can remember nothing of the detail, but I can remember the feeling of doing it. Well, I mean, you've been doing these since like 1999. I mean, how do you keep, how do you keep things fresh? I mean, not to make this sound like a marriage or anything, Colin, but how do you keep things interesting for yourself? How do you keep things fresh? Well, in the same way as any actor does, who's you know maybe in uh, the mousetrap for 10 years, uh-huh. um, you're aware that not only is is what you're doing uh, the first time the people listening have seen it, mm. in case of the mousetrap, people watching, um, you're doing it for them. And to, to, to do other than do what you do to your best each time uh, is wrong. We're professionals. You know, I have sat in an audience and watched an actor who's clearly bored to death doing what he's doing, and I resent it bitterly. And I like to uh, think that I have never, ever, uh, been tempted or done that myself. Um, keeping the doctor fresh is great because you get a new script every time. You know, th- th- there's there are new nuances coming in. Um, the journey. Um, I know it's. I always used to hate actors who talked about the journey of their character. It sounded yeah. so pretentious, but in <laughs> fact, it's quite right. It is a journey, and yeah. the doctor's journey, um, uh, being a time traveler, goes backwards and forwards. And supplies missing detail along the way, and mm. it, it, it's it's exciting. It's exciting to get a new script, and and I, I know some actors say, "Oh, my character would never say that." I like to think, "All right, my character's never said that before, but what might make him say that now, and how can I make it work?" And I can think of only a handful of times when I really have struggled with something the doctor might say, and that's. Right. Probably, usually, because it's not grammatical. <laughs> and uh, the only lines I've ever changed have been ones where the grammar's been uh, substandard, because I'm a bit of a 
a grammar Nazi, really. Can you imagine the shame of being writing your first big finish and having Colin walk in and go, I'm sorry, you didn't <laughs> conjugate this. Like, <laughs> It's quite true. It's quite yeah. true. I've had very strenuous conversations in the past. Where I suffer is when I hear another actor mispronouncing a word and I think, oh, well, the director will correct them. And they don't. And I go, oh, I've got to say something and earn their eternal loathing. And I, and I find I do. Well, you know, he's millennia old. He would correct people's grammar. That's completely in keeping with his character. So, you know, yeah. your method. You are, see, you Colin are method. <laughs> Colin Baker uh, is different. <laughs> now, speaking of uh, kind of hopping around chronologically, the news that um, Russell T Davies is returning as showrunner uh, on TV is bloody wonderful. And people are soon going to be able to hear something that he wrote back in the 80s. It's Mind of the Hodiac. Now, does the script have any of the DNA, you, do you think, of his later work? Absolutely. And, yeah? It's the first thing I thought when I read it, because what Russell does so wonderfully mm. always is find a situation where ordinary people, really normal, ordinary people, suddenly find themselves in quite extraordinary circumstances. And that's what he I mean, the second coming. Think of the second coming. Some, yeah. some bloke, played by Chris Eccleston, suddenly uh, realises that he is the Messiah. And he goes about Manchester telling people he's the Messiah and they have to deal with it. Um, it's such a brilliant concept and it was so beautifully constructed and done. And all of Russell's material is about ordinary people finding themselves either in awkward situations or or difficult situations, not of their own choosing and having yeah. to deal with it. And this is exactly what is running through Mind of the Hodiac when he was a teenager. You know, it's um, a, a lot of ordinary people having to deal with the fact that there is this entity. Um, I don't want to give too much detail away, but <laughs> yeah. it's, um, it's a split entity. And the other bit of it, is somewhere amongst them, and he and and this entity is trying to reunite himself with his other bit, and it's it's classic um, Russell. Uh, it, so I, I would say to any sixteen-year-old out there, you know, even though when you write something now you think it's drivel, hang on to it, because when you're a huge success, you'll find it wasn't drivel; it was actually the seeds of what you later become. And it's a great, great script. I know it's been updated by Russell and Scott Hancock, who, who um, directed it. Um, but it's a, it's a wonderful script. And for me, Russell is, um, I adore John Nathan Turner, who was my producer, my producer. He was the producer of Doctor Who when I, did, uh, when I played the Doctor. Um, yeah. And I think he and Russell would have got on extremely well because uh, Russell is unashamedly a fan of the show. But he's also undeniably the best producer, auteur, showrunner around at the moment, in my opinion. And the mm. fact that he's coming back, because the, there were rumours that you know the, the programme might be approaching its demise again. And with Russell coming back, that is 100% guarantee that it's going to be new and exciting and yet the same. It will still be... Doctor Who, but he will find new spins on it, new um, new avenues of exploration, whilst yeah. not losing what is essentially 
the doctor, i.e. that stranger who travels through time and space, um, hi-ho silver, rides into town, solves a problem and rides out again, and is at core the best of us. And I just think he's going to propel it forward, hopefully for several years, um, whether he can resist branching out into a thousand other directions, I don't know, but we have so much more good stuff to come from Russell that um, to have been a part of one of them, and I'm so, I feel so lucky that I was playing the doctor when he wrote the script and that Bonnie wow. and I got to do it because, you know, if he'd done it a couple of years earlier, um, it would have been Peter or a couple of years later, it would have been Sylvester, but it was me. And thank you, Russell T. Davis, I say. Thanks for having me. And Thanks. Colin, really. Nice talking to you, Paul. Likewise, mate. And um, yeah, uh, if you're ever down this neck of the woods, give us a buzz. We'll have a barbecue. <laughs> I hope I will be one day soon. It's too long since I've been to Australia. Wasn't that just an absolute bloody treat? Colin, thank you so much for coming on the show. And everyone, thank you so much for listening and subscribing to The Doctor Is In. I'm so sorry for my absence, but one thing I would recommend is that if you haven't gone across to Instagram yet and had a look at uh, The Doctor Is In pod, or just gone to the website, thedoctorisin.show, you can scroll down and see all the crazy guests that I've talked to. I mean, some of the people that have been on this show Absolutely amazing. I, I pinch myself occasionally. I'm just, I've been so fortunate. And there are some really wonderful guests still to come up. One of the things I'm trying to do is basically span the kind of body of work that is Doctor Who. So I'm not just interviewing people from new or old Who. I'm trying to get a really good cross-section. So you're going to be hearing some amazing people from all different wings of the Doctor Who mansion. Anyway, thank you so much for joining me this week. Don't forget to tell people about the show, especially if you're a fan. Make sure you get the word out there. And I will see you very soon, I promise, for another episode of The Doctor Is In.